Tonight's episode is brought to you by cough syrup. Maybe if I drink enough of it, I'll feel okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cynical About Things. I am Henry, and with me, as always, is Tom. Hello. And speaking today also will be Ken. Hi. And speaking today also will be Shalom. Hello. And last but most certainly not least, also speaking today is somebody new named Reese. Hi. Good job, Henry. <laughs> I have to think of something. I really don't like doing these intros. But I have to try something. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and we are here to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender because we already talked about Blue People Avatar. So might as well talk about the other Avatar. So we'll just get right into it. So, Reese, are you cynical about Avatar The Last Airbender? You're the guest, so might as well go first. Oh, my goodness. I. <laughs> When you asked me to do this, my initial answer was no, absolutely never. <laughs> um, and the more I thought about it, the more I was less cynical. So um, I would say that, you know, I I love the franchise. Um, I actually didn't get started into it until college. Um, I didn't grow up with the show. Oh, watching it I, yeah, neither did I. I. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have what was it on Nickelodeon? Yeah, so Nickelodeon. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have that growing up, so I didn't. I knew it existed, but I never watched it. Um, so I always thought that people liked it just because you know nostalgia. And yeah, that was that too. Yeah, but it is is really good. Um, mm-hmm. especially the original series, and of course, it's got its faults. With you know, the first season is probably the worst because of budget. Um, uh, what jet, uh, um, <laughs> jet, yeah, just it is probably the weakest thing in the series. <laughs> yeah, he's a little crazy, yeah. Um, and then you know, he disappears out of nowhere. Um, yeah, and then I don't know, and then you know, the I think Cora, I'm much more cynical of than hmm. the original series. Um, but I think it the whole the reason mainly is it just it just was rushed and not thought out as much as the as avatar last Interpreter felt so yeah which is does make sense because they i think the initial plan was that it was just going to be the first season of yeah core was originally just supposed to be a one season thing yeah yeah and like the first season of core probably feels the most well thought out of the three or of the four i would say so that kind of lines up but then it was popular and then they were like, "Oh, well, I guess we should make more of this." And it's like, "No, you probably shouldn't. It's all good. <laughs> you can you can stop." Um, but yeah, uh, I guess before we jump to somebody else, uh, Reese, do you have an opinion on any of like the new stuff coming up? Whether it's like the live action version or the m- movies that are making? Like, are you I, about I, those? I'm really excited for them. Okay, uh, but cautiously because you know we've seen so often that either things are really great and people love them or they suck and you never want to hear about it again. Yeah. Um, exactly. And I, and I hope it doesn't turn into something that we get tired of if it does well, where they just don't stop making more of them. <laughs> oh, they would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, cool. So, uh, Ken and or Shalom, whoever wants to go next, uh, what is your response to the broad, cynical question? Um, I loved Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, I'll watch it any day of the week still. 
Uh, it totally holds up. Like no matter how old you are, I think you can enjoy that show. Um, I think it was great. Like we were lucky because we got to watch it as kids, like um, a little bit. I also didn't like watch it until I was maybe in high school or something. Like I didn't grow up with it, but um, it's it was like fun to watch like as a younger person too. Um, but yeah, I similarly feel like Cora just doesn't, it's hard to live up to Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, I was not really totally on board with Korra. Um, Ken knows that like with Korra, my least favorite thing was that at one point Korra asks like, oh, we have to like go find the Jeep. And I was like, what? <laughs> we, are, we are now like out of the Avatar universe in my opinion like we're starting to talk about jeeps now um, <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i yeah i love uh, avatar last i think it's interesting you mentioned that because the one thing i really did like about cora was seeing how you know uh magic for lack of a better term worked in the future in a more modern time um i think republic city was really cool in that you know we saw that um, metal benders became, you know, the police force and people went into mechanics and stuff like that. That's fair. That is a fair point. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think because, while you do make a good point, Reese, it kind of like, I don't know, something about it like takes away from the identity of the world. Like, uh, but I guess for me with Korra, it's less, even though the steampunkisms kind of do bother me a little bit, what bothers me more is just the lack of like adventure. Like Last Airbender was all about like going from place to place. It really felt like an adventure. And Korra, they, at least season one, because I haven't seen past that actually, they, they, for the most part, basically just stay in Republic City. And I think that kind of takes away from the, I think if they had like kind of, structured it in more of a globetrotting adventure kind of way like the original show was then the steampunk mannerisms when not mannerisms steampunkisms wouldn't bother me as much but that's just my takeaway but uh yeah. i also understand that they were probably worried that if they did just make it another globetrotting adventure that it would be too similar to the original show so damned if you do damned if you don't yeah, it's yeah. like it's always hard to follow up with something in the same universe and try to do something different while making it not exactly the same. And like, I just I felt like with Korra, my my thing was that I one of the things I liked a lot about Avatar: The Last Airbender was the whole like sort of like spirituality almost aspect of it, or if not spirituality. Yeah. At least at least like the question of like how do you like search inside yourself and become the best per like how you how what makes you a good person and like that's always what ang is like searching for and i i just felt like that whole like kind of like deeper thing it was there in cora but it wasn't like i i was kind of lost as to what the like overall theme of cora was i don't know yeah yeah no. i i generally agree with that is like um to me, the whole run of Korra feels a little bit more like a bunch of like fun what if scenarios as opposed to like a contiguous continuation of the story. Like it's like, yeah. well, what if spirits attacked and what if there was <laughs> yeah. a, a earth bender tyrant woman who 
builds a robot and what if a bunch of like expert vendors of every type hunted the avatar it's like okay these are like kind of interesting scenarios but it doesn't really feel like it has that through line that uh avatar the last airbender does but yeah i mean again it they planned like one season and then kind of got thrusted into a whole series and it shows yeah yeah uh, yeah, see. Ken. What are what are what are your what are your broad thoughts on all of these topics? So I am definitely not cynical about Avatar: The Last Airbender. I did grow up with it. I remember watching the first episode when it premiered back in uh, oh, I said like two thousand six or something. Um, it was Dominican Republic, so I think it was maybe four. five. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and I I watched it in Spanish and I loved it. And I was actually like watching it every week. Until it kind of caught up, and then I actually started watching it in English. And then um, uh, I think I never rewatched it, but I loved it so much that at one point I could actually recite word by word every part of every episode, like every bit of dialogue in the entire script. Um, I like all memorized. That's and think, <laughs> Yeah, uh, and um, <clears throat> I think. Back then, for its time, it was like there was nothing quite like it. And even now it holds up this whole like global adventure and like uh, a lot of Asian influence in this like mystical world where they kind of like what Shalom was talking about. Like there's a focus on spirituality, um, a very cool lived in world where you see kind of how they use bending to make the world either better or worse, depending on like uh, what they're doing. Um, and just, um, I really think overall, even though it's not perfect, it is a masterpiece. And I don't believe a masterpiece needs to be perfect to be one. Um, and what I love the most about The Last Airbender, I think it's just like that part where Aang, um, everyone tells him like what the right thing to do is to end the war, killing the, the Fire Lord but he tries to find his own way to find a peaceful way. And even though it's the way that like no one else supports him on, it's the way that he believes in. So I think like overall, that's, that's great. Um, as for where the franchise went afterwards, I mean, obviously the live action movie was absolutely terrible in so many levels. Like, I, I don't know <laughs> if I have much to say about it other than that it was bad. And I think it was sad because it maybe ha may have prevented other projects from taking off. And what we got afterwards was Korra. And I agree with uh, what some of you guys said, that um, the first season was the strongest. It feels mostly cohesive. For me, I do think that the steampunk aspect um, took away a bit of the mysticism. But um, when taking that away still, I felt like um, they did try to make it interesting by seeing that balance of like, ha, huh, the world is advanced, advancing, technology is catching up. Um, how is life with vendors and technology in the same place? Um, I did feel it was a bit rushed, but overall good. And then the other seasons came and every one of them had something special to offer, but they weren't cohesive and they didn't tell this grand adventure like the original one did. Um, and as for the other projects, honestly, I feel like no matter what, we will always have seasons one through three of The Last Airbender to look back as something great and whatever comes, even though I want it to be great, if it sucks, I still have my little gem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good attitude to have. <laughs> Thanks. They'll always, yeah, they'll the always have was... the original series. Yes. 
Oh, but what were you gonna say about the movie, Shalom? Oh no, just it was it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> One of the I've never seen it. Oh goodness! Oh, don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I would recommend watching it just to laugh at it. I mean, there's this famous scene <laughs> on YouTube, I think, where they take like six Earthbenders and they do this like martial arts movement for like a solid ten seconds, and all they're able to do is lift a rock the size of a basketball and then move it like five feet. That's yeah. all they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, they had to make up for the fact that, like, in, in Avatar The Last Airbender, Toph, like, moves her big toe like a mountain ship. Yeah. So they're like, all right, let's tone it back a little bit. But then they overtoned it back. Yeah. Reese, have you seen the 2010 movie? Yeah, so that was actually, that was my introduction to the series. And I, the only thing I remember from it is them saying ong as his name um <laughs> really i don't i mean and i remember them what i it ends um where the first season ends right at uh, yeah the northern water tribe that's the last thing those, those are the only things i remember and it's funny when people say they hated it because i i it feels like i mean i was not old enough to drink but it feels like i was blackout drunk and don't remember any of it because <laughs> uh, I, I literally you know it, I, it must have been that unremarkable because you know most movies of that age i remember um yeah maybe it was so bad that you just blocked it maybe yeah. <laughs> and, you know i i've told henry that i've basically because of my friendship with him i've become more critical of visual media that i watch but I i've apologize. never yeah back in 2010 whenever it came out i was definitely any movie i saw was a great movie so okay there you go i tend to do that to people i ruin the fun yeah. for them yeah i really got to stop with that speaking of henry's opinions ruining fun, uh henry you're actually i think you're the most recent of us to watch yeah it i've only like you are yeah yeah uh so i also didn't grow up with it and I saw the 2010 movie back when it came out. It was basically like, fuck this. And then for years, people kept telling me like, oh, no, the show is good. The show is good. And like Reese was saying, I thought people were just basically blinded by nostalgia. But then I finally gave the show a chance uh, late last year, just a few months ago. And uh, yeah, it, it is really good. I, I got to say, it's probably my favorite animated show of all time now, or it's at least in the conversation. But, you know, like some of you guys have been pointing out, it's not perfect. I, I think my biggest criticism of it is that it's a little predictable. Like you could kind of see from a thousand miles away, like where the plot's all going. But I mean, it is a kid's show primarily. So you got to be a little bit forgiving of it for that. And uh, there's other little nitpicks I have. I think the whole like uh, kidnapping Appa or whatever in season two, that whole plot has like some weird tonal inconsistencies because he's missing for like six or seven episodes and, Ang goes from like being super angry to super happy to super angry again to super happy again, you know, shit like that. But um, I mean, I feel like somebody like if your best friend's missing, you're probably not going to have moments of happiness like while they're gone. You're probably just going to be sad like all the time until either you find them or you've long accepted that they're gone. But, you know, like little things like that I'm forgiving of because you see, this is me ruining the fun for everybody. Because <laughs> overall, it, it is a very good show that is deserving of all the praise that it gets. And then the movie sucked. And uh, Cora, like I said, I only watched, uh, I don't even think I finished season one. I don't know. It just didn't grab me. 
but um if it occurred to me just kind of felt like fan fiction really good fan fiction but fan fiction nonetheless and uh as far as the upcoming stuff i i don't think i'm really excited for any of it i i've been going through a weird phase now where i'm just kind of jaded by like whenever they extend these intellectual properties for too long and the problem is is that there's too much of it happening all at once now you know you got Netflix doing the live action show, but then the original creators doing animated movies and then another animated show about a future earthbender or something. And, uh, it, you know, it's fun. It, this, this franchise has been dormant for so long and now all of a sudden it's all over the place, just like the other avatar. It's, it's really bizarre, but we'll see how it all goes, I guess. I think the good thing that has kept it alive though, is you, know, it's has a lot of graphic novels and oh, yeah, I did forget about graphic that. novels as well. Yeah, yeah, I did forget about that. And apparently those are good from what I've heard. So Yeah, I read the first, uh, I think, uh, three chapters, um, and they were really good. And then they kept releasing them, and I couldn't keep up. But, like, from what mm. I remember, it's, like, uh, for the most part, like, um, successful um, sequel to the original series. Mm. Nice. So will the movies be based off of them? No, no, no. The 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 creators clarified that the the new movies about like twenty uh, year old Aang and twenty year old Zuko and all that stuff that they will very much be their own thing. They will have nothing to do with those comics. Oh, they huh. they won't necessarily override those comics or contradict them. They'll just be their own stories, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, and I could be wrong. The original plans were for um, these stories that take plays like immediately after the last airbender pretty much um they wanted that to be the new animated series and they said no and then instead they made them into the graphic novels yeah and once I they get about the hands, they moved to cora <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah i remember hearing that there originally was supposed to be a, a season four and then it didn't happen yeah which honestly might be for the best because really the those three seasons are so tight of a story yeah um that it it it's ended right everything has gone full circle so mm-hmm. yeah it's nicely wrapped up which is something very hard to do nowadays i feel with a lot of like franchises just feel like everyone got the end of their character arc and everything feels satisfying by the end i feel like that's that's pretty tough yeah so tom what about you oh um I mean, probably, probably I have the most complicated, long-winded answer to this, <laughs> so I apologize <laughs> if I ramble. Um, <laughs> let's see. Okay, so am I cynical about Avatar: The Last Airbender? Uh, no, I like Avatar: The Last Airbender, but I would say that I've noticed myself that every time I rewatch the show now, I think that like, because I've probably rewatched it, I've watched it through once, and then I've rewatched it twice and each time i rewatch it i like like it a little bit less particularly in the third season the third season feels very weak to me at this point um but the first two seasons are still very very solid probably the best like animated show that i can think of is those first two seasons and parts of the third season here and there um don't really like cora much at all uh not a big fan and then haven't watched the 2010 movie and as for the future this is the part where it gets kind of scary for me is that 
at some point, Star Wars passed this critical threshold for me where I liked less of it than I liked. <laughs> like, like it was 51% or more I disliked of Star Wars. And that was when I started thinking about, like, how much can I really consider myself, like, a fan of this property if somebody goes, like, if, if, if the probability of somebody bringing up something in the property makes me go... Well, more likely than not, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> and between my iffy-ish thoughts, let's call it like 50-50, I like half of the third season and dislike half of it, roughly speaking, and then I like don't like Korra. It's like Avatar as a property is at this like critical junction for me where it's like, Half of it I like, and half of it I don't like. And I'm very concerned that if I give these new movies a chance, and either my jaded brain is like, ugh, this just doesn't hold up, that it's like, officially I have to go like, no, I don't like this property anymore. And, I don't know, I'm very skeptical of these new things. I... I Back during the pandemic, everybody started watching Avatar The Last Airbender again on Netflix for some reason, and there was all this hype around it and everything, and that's when Netflix announced all this new stuff. And it's oh, like, is that what caused it? Yeah, it's oh. like, I think like Zoomers discovered it. And it's like, <laughs> it's like okay, cool, I'm, I'm happy that millennial Star Wars has now reached Zoomers. And I'm glad that like everybody still loves this show, because it, it really does hold up in so many ways. Yeah, uh, and it is a show also that has a lot of appeal to a lot of age groups, like yeah, all across the board. Like the Zuko stuff with Iroh is still incredible, incredibly meaningful to me as I like enter late twenties and stuff. And it's like, okay, if a story about like a sixteen-year-old having an angst issue can still hold up, that's good writing. Yeah, but. Uh, they, yeah, the, there was like this explosion of popularity sometime during the pandemic, and that's when the live action thing was announced, and that's when all this speculation about the uh, new animated stuff started happening. And it's like, guys, please don't make investment decisions based off of momentary hype. Like, Zoomer Brain, these guys have forgotten Avatar Last Airbender has existed and are watching TikToks now. Like, it's, yeah. it's like, I don't know. I, I think I'm in my rambling territory, but I'm very skeptical skeptical about the new stuff. I'm very nostalgic about the old stuff, and I'm very eh about the most recent of the old stuff, is I guess how I would say. So that's basically my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. I uh, I will agree that uh, for me, season three uh, might be my least favorite of the bunch. There are definitely it definitely has very high highs, but yeah, exactly. There's also points where I feel like it moves a little too fast. Like, or yeah, is that the right way to say it? I don't know. I, I kind of wish there would have been more with Zuko redeemed. Like either he would have been redeemed a little earlier, or after he's redeemed, maybe they just throw in a few extra episodes so that we could I don't know spend more time with him and the gang. But um. Yeah, I my, say... main, my main problem with season three is that um, at the end of season two, Ang, or, uh, Zuko has that thing where he like goes back. Like it looks like he's about to commit to being sort of like a reformed person, and then he goes back on it. Yeah, um, because he gets like the kind of the promise of getting, uh, you know, validation from his his father, and it's like that's that's fine. 
But then at the beginning of season three, it kind of feels like they don't do a lot with that plot. It's kind of like he's just sitting in the Fire Nation city and he goes and visits Iroh and Iroh's like, you suck. And I Azuka's like, yeah, I guess I kind of do suck. And then he just kind of sits there for a little while and then finally eventually leaves. So it's that feels like a big missed opportunity to me. And then... um yeah, there's just like some a few like filler episodes here and there, and I, I'm think, not I'm not yeah. like a big fan of like the conclusion of the series. I think it's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I I agree with what you said, Henry. It has very high highs. It has like some great episodes in there, but overall, for me, the third season is the weakest one. Yeah, that's fair. I think I know what they were going for with Zuko there, where like he finally gets what he wants and then realizes that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, I guess that's what they were trying to go for there, but I, I do agree that maybe they could have ha- uh, executed it in a more compelling way. Uh, as far as the conclusion goes, I uh, for me, the energy bending really feels like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, my that's friend my did ex- issue, yeah. Yeah, my friend did explain to me that that giant island turtle or whatever he has explained- a turtle, dude. Yeah, supposedly that entity like explained to Aang how energy bending works, but his voice was so like reverbed that it went over my head. So then, like in the end, when he was defeating Ozai by taking his bending away, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" But then after somebody explained it to me, I I understood oh, it better. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I I caught the lion turtle stuff. It's it still feels very out of left field to me. It's like, um, you know. He yeah. he spends I mean, the whole show learning, you know, his elements, and then he kind of in the last like three episodes, a big island tells like, "By the way, there's this other thing you can do." <laughs> and Aang's like, "Oh, sweet!" But to be fair, they can't yeah. they can't. Nickelodeon wasn't going to let Aang have you know wasn't going to have Aang cut Ozai's head clean off. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I I totally respect that for better reasons and everything like that. I'm, I'm more just saying, like you know, narratively, I'm like, eh, okay, I guess. Yeah. No, it's I agree with that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was. I mean, even despite, I mean, I just would assume that it was fully Nickelodeon that said, "Hey, don't kill Ozai." <laughs> I I think that yeah. is a better narrative choice. For who Aang is, yeah. Since um, he's all pa- yeah, and, you know he he Monken. is yeah, yeah. an air nomad, and right. their whole thing is don't kill anything. So right. <laughs> it, it it does work, and I, I I that's something I never thought about, Tom. I kind of agree with that. That the turtle thing, even though the the lion turtle is freaking awesome, yeah, his explanation does kind of go over your head. It's fast, and then you know, unlike the new kinds of bending where we're introduced through a whole episode like blood bending and um metal bending takes i think two episodes yeah um you know this one just happens in uh, five minutes yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's you know much more impactful to the world and to the lore yeah 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 the um the the big thing for me is that like there's kind of two different directions that you can go with what's like quote unquote the most appropriate to the narrative like Reese you were saying you can make the point that it's like and I think Ken brought up that it's or maybe it was Shalom who brought up that it's like there's these really powerful moments in the story where it's like 
it's about how Aang is overcoming these challenges as himself. Like, he's kind of going through the world saying, like, no, this is what I think is right. I want to do it this way. And so you can interpret it as, like, really cool that he has this meeting with all of these past avatars. And they're all like, yo, you got to murder him. Get your kill on, bro. And he's like, no, I think I'm going to consult some lion turtles. And they're like, ah, the lion turtles, right? Uh, and then he learns energy bending and he solves the problem the Yang way. The other thing that I guess I've started to come around to is that it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity to have Aang have to sacrifice something to fully embrace being the Avatar. Because like the show, if you like look back at a lot of the episodes that are about what being the Avatar means, it's like the avatars don't really retain their personalities. Like they are kind of like a single entity moving through time and they all have to kind of take up this responsibility. And part of that responsibility is like, you know, Kill doing the bad what's guy. right for, the, doing yeah. right for what's right for <laughs> and the it, Yeah. It's not about you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not about yeah. you. It's like, so it's it's you know it's two different ways to end the story it's mostly it's it's good either way and obviously there's the meta reason of nickelodeon didn't want any ang axe murder going on here <laughs> but i would say i always feel like it's a it's a personal opinion but i always feel like it's it's m- m- more satisfying for me when a hero at the end of the story has to like give something up to get what they think is better it feels a little bit more satisfying to not just have the hero get their way 100 percent at the end like perfect example luke wants to redeem his father does father dies oops that's not exactly a perfect ending but you know it's like it, it's it, it it always feels like there should just be a tiny bit of hollowness to the hero's victory um whereas hang when the credits roll boy that guy basically got everything he wanted exactly the way he wanted it. So I don't know. It, to be fair though, for like a kid, any- he did go through a lot initially losing his entire like civilization or whatever. But oh, I understand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I understand what you're saying. That's at the beginning of the story, not at the climax. Yeah. So. But even, yeah. you know, he, he, when he gets struck um, by, who's it? Azula. Azula, yeah. Or, or, oh, that yeah. too. Yeah, you got and, you know, that, that is a whole yeah. half season of him kind of redeeming. But to Tom's point, he he comes back and basically is back to where he started yeah. once he kind of gets back to himself. Right. And it is kind of shame. I That's something I haven't really thought about. But yet he never really... We never get to see, you know, his sacrifice or his loss of childhood. Um. Yeah, there's also, like, the element of, um, I always feel like Lord of the Rings is just such a perfect rendition where, like, Frodo defeats Sauron, he's friggin' the Hobbit man, little dude defeats the biggest evil in the world, and then he comes back to the Shire and is like, just doesn't feel right anymore, man. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's such a good ending. Like, everything in the world is happy, but Frodo has lost just a little bit. He's gained a lot, but he's lost just that little bit. And I think that's such a good message. Um, But, you know, it's also, it's also a Nickelodeon show, primarily aimed at ages like 8 to 
12 and it's like i get having a very happy ending i totally get it yeah for the yeah, circumstances I, they were under they still did a good job making most oh, of the absolutely. show feel all ages yeah what were you gonna say reese uh Ken. um or, oh sorry well, I, 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 this I, I, is what happens I, when you have five people on <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> um, go ahead ken uh, so my sense on the whole thing is um, I definitely agree that the uh, lion turtles appear kind of out of nowhere. It doesn't matter too much that the lion turtle explained what like energy bending was because it just was a solution that came and was given to Aang almost too easily. Um, I think that the best conversation that he had with um, all of the past avatars, which they all kind of tell him like, hey, yeah, you need to grow up and do your job and like i know you don't want to hurt anyone but you have to do what you have to do the best conversation i think was with avatar young chen which was the airbending avatar before him and he said hey we're both pacifists you know i don't even need meat so like it should be okay to want you know this for no one to get hurt and she's like yes and i live like that but that the avatar can never truly be detached um and that there are some things that are more important than your spiritual needs. And I think to this day, that phrase has really stayed with me, the whole idea of like, there are things that matter more than what you feel is morally right. Yep. There is greater good to what it is moral. So I, I agree that traditional good stories show characters grow by them losing things. But I don't know if it's like a punk side of me or just an optimist side of me. I like the rebelliousness of Aang of being like, I feel like you guys all gave up. Like you guys have more experience. You guys are smarter. You guys are stronger. And I feel like you guys were probably right. But something tells me that I should still find a way. And so while I don't agree with the energy bending, I do think that it is great that till the very end, Aang, like his strength wasn't the strength to defeat Osai by doing anything that he had to do, but the strength to try and hold on to his humanity and his way of peace. What I would have appreciated out of that fight was that if he's going to give up like the ultimate avatar power or mindset to defeat him, that he makes up by having his quote-unquote weaknesses, his attachments and tethers to the world be his strength, either by his friends kind of helping him in that fight, which would be the more traditional way, or the fight showing you through the choreography that he has attained strength by staying close to his friends, using more of the seismic sense that Toph had taught him, using more about ingenious creative attacks that he got from Sokka, uh, maybe even using being more fluid and moving a lot more like Katara. But the biggest thing is that during that fight, um, fire bending was the most powerful bending because of Sosin's comment. And in a way, you could even argue that maybe air bending was the worst choice because it would just make Osai stronger, air kind of like fanning the flames. But staying true to himself, using airbender since it's the airbending since it's the bending that he knows the best, evading, finding a good moment to attack, and then using everything he knows, everything that he's learned through his journey and his friends to kind of stop him without the energy bending. But through the choreography show that like in a way his friends live through him and they give him strength. And I know that might sound cheesy, but I just think the optimist side of me feels like that would have been a pretty good conclusion as well. No, actually, Ken, I, I, I basically liked everything that you said there. I thought that I thought I think that what you were kind of getting at there is ultimately, it's not really that I dislike that Ang like gets off scot free, or that I like or or that I I dislike uh, energy bending. It's that I dislike the combination of them because it's like 
he gets a deus ex machina that allows him to get off scot-free it's like it feels like he should have had to earn get getting off scot-free or he should have gotten some deus ex machina that just (laughs) lets him one shot goes and he dies or something i don't know it feels like one or the other but he gets both and it's like dang man that's some good luck (laughs) i mean i i guess you've earned it because you've done a lot of good for the world but you got you got some like major points working in your favor i totally agree that i would have liked to see him like um somehow yeah as you were saying in the choreography of the fight or something like really earn defeating ozai non-lethally as opposed to just lion turtles like well you know you could always do this it's like how come how come no avatar when he was consulting them thought to tell him that you know yeah. so, it's like oh yeah there's energy bending whoops sorry yang we told you to murder a guy and you're like 12 <laughs> our bad bro <laughs> so, yeah that's a how it should have ended skit just waiting to happen but to be fair it's always hard to end things so yeah no matter what i agree with that and hard. relative yeah. to that how hard it is to end things i still think that avatar the last airbender's ending is very solid i mean like Mm. endings and things just have such a history of being very lackluster but avatars is despite the complaints that i've listed uh it it still feels good when you when you watch the last episode of avatar the last airbender you're like yeah i i i got my my worth out of this show it's 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 very good yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like um, even though I think Ozai is a pretty weak villain in the sense that we don't really oh, yeah, get to yeah. know him and he's like very one-dimensional, I think just the fact that from the very beginning of the series, we know that he's the big bad guy and they've been building up this entire like fight makes it feel like very um, momentous. Even though the villain himself doesn't feel that um, interesting, it does feel like a big moment, which I, I do appreciate. And I mean, the voice actor, too, Mark Hamill, he did a great job voicing yeah. those eyes. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. I, I mean, it is Mark Hamill. Also, That's actually something that, that reminds me of something that I actually dislike is the face reveal of Ozai. Because for, I and I, can't, I wish I rewatched the entire show before we did this, because um, I don't remember exactly when they do the face reveal. I think it's like at the end of season two and it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It comes out of nowhere. It, it, you know, we see him behind the flames, his face is hidden for so long. And the reveal, isn't it when it's when, uh, um, Zuko comes back. Yeah. And it just, it falls flat for me. Um, and I've only rewatched the show once. So total of two times. And the second time is when I kind of became aware of it. it was like, oh, he's why why did we hide his face in the first place if yeah if it's this lame of a reveal? <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> Shalom, what were you gonna say? Um I I uh not to like bring us back, but like go like with Aang taking doing the energy bending and stuff, um you could argue I think that um it, that maybe the avatars that he was talking to did know that energy bending was like an option, but they just didn't think to offer that as an option because they, um, like, is it is the it was firebending really the reason that he was like so evil? Like, there are plenty of dictators in real life. 
oh, with yeah. no fire bending ability. So like, Shalom. yeah, my yeah. brother brought this up last time because last time I watched it, we we uh, we watched it together, me and my brother, and I was complaining. I my brother and I love to watch things together and complain. I was complaining <laughs> about. Uh, like the energy bending being a deus ex machina. And then yeah. he at the end was like, wait, hold on. Why would Aang think that Ozai, like that this would defeat the Fire Nation? Like, oh no, our guy yeah. can't firebend anymore. He's we still only have leader. An yeah, we only have an army left of firebenders. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> it's it's kind of like, it, maybe if there was something established in like firebending culture that it's like the Fire Lord must firebend or something which I, mean, I guess kind of makes sense but like yeah it it's like ang takes away his bending and i all i can imagine is ojai just going oh that's it uh, okay like, well my oh. army's still gonna blow up the earth King. <laughs> <laughs> and ang going oh no like so i don't know but yeah totally agree with that I, yeah, I think that's another how it should have ended. Like, if <laughs> Aang takes away his powers and he's like, oh, that's, I mean, it sucks for me, but like, I'm still going <laughs> to conquer the world. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think though that like, as, especially as like a kid or young adult watching it, I, I thought it was like a cool, like, the symbolism was cool. Like, if you stay, like, people are going to tell you what to do, but if you stay true to what you believe is right, you will find the answer somewhere um which I thought was a cool thing to, at least to like teach kids like like your conscience knows what's right and what's wrong um yeah yeah that is cool it, it, it's, it's like uh right there's there's like the there's the pro ang yeah. interpretation where mm -hmm. it's like ang stays true to himself and that's like a really cool moral and it's also just neat because ang is such a cool character uh, and then there's, yeah, the other, like, I guess you would almost just call it, like, the more traditional hero's journey thing, where it's, like, the heroes, both are, both are viable. I think it's more of just my own personal taste. I've noticed in the times that I've rewatched it that it's, like, oh, I wish that it ended this way instead, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, um, to bring us back to what, um, Reese, you were saying, um, about the reveal, yeah, the way I interpreted was that, um, we keep hearing about him, um, and Osai sounds like a monster, almost like a demon. And there's even this shot, I think, in like season one, where they show him in shadows just screaming fire. And then yeah. when Zuko returns home in season three, just a regular man comes out. I think it was supposed to be that, like, oh, this big, huge monster that we thought was just like a crazy firebending demon is actually just a man, and it's Zuko's dad. But then they didn't do much with it because we don't really get to know him. We just know that he's ambitious, ambitious, cruel, and evil, which we kind of knew already. And we don't get to see maybe more of like when he was like different. I mean, I guess we have that flashback episode, but we don't get to see him like see more facets to him. That like yeah, and that's really the only him. time we see him not being a maniac you know is yeah. when we <laughs> see him with the previous avatar you know them being friends and it, even then he still kind of falls flat i mean he's he's he is very one-dimensional where everyone else oh wait that that, that meet... wasn't ozai with the previous avatar that was ozai's grandfather i think show shonen shogun oh you're right you're right oh you're that's right. right that's right yep that's so right. we really don't get much of ozai at all 
Yeah, yeah, it would help to have like a flashback episode when him and um, Iroh were just like teenagers or something. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because at some point they like served in the Fire Nation military together. And that's when like Iroh's son died and stuff. Right. Yeah, that would have been neat. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think we're kind of on a topic that is like another point of my my increasing. I've almost like vowed to not rewatch Avatar The Last Airbender anymore because I want to keep loving it. And every time I do, (laughs) I love it a little bit less. Uh, It's like, I don't. I don't really expect much, I guess, from like a, a a show again where the target demographic is like eight to twelve or whatever. But um, the Fire Nation is a little bit too many maniacs in the mailbox. Like, uh, that's true. Iroh's the only decent one. Like, yeah, Iroh. It's almost like it almost doesn't. I guess you could make the point that like Iroh possibly was a bit of a maniac. Like after all, he did like siege uh, Bossing Say. But then, like, he calmed down after his son died. But it's like, I guess Zuko's Zuko's mom and Roku are the only decent ones, then. Roku being the previous avatar, and then Zuko's mom. And they're related, so it's almost implying that there's only like one family line (laughs) that's decent in the whole Fire Nation. Yeah, I guess Tuzan was supposed to be nice, but we never even got a flashback of him. We just hear about him. Yeah, it's just like, I guess it's just like a little bit off-putting to me when like the villains are just like raging lunatics. It's like, uh, like Ozai is a raging lunatic, and then like Azula. Oh, I, I, I know Azula is a pretty popular character in the wider fan base of the show. I cannot stand Azula. It's like she's just, she's everything I don't like in a <laughs> in a antagonist. She just shows up and is like, I'm evil. And Zuko's like, oh no, that's my evil sister. And Iroh's like, oh no, that's my evil niece. And, and then Aang's like, who's this? And, and everybody's just like, she's evil. And then that's, that's her character. She like, she grew on me over time. I'll agree. In the beginning, she was a little much for me yeah. for a while. For I time. think the third season, she's definitely, that's the best form of her. I was about to say, a lot of people don't like that beach episode. I actually like that episode because it was the only time where Azula like really feels like a person to me. And then like, well, actually, then after that, like her, she starts slipping. And so then that kind of makes her feel more real. Like when she starts going like legit, legit crazy, like where she cuts her hair wrong and all this other crazy shit. And I think it's even implied that she becomes like borderline schizo almost. That like that is that was one of the things that season three actually did right. Azula was more interesting, but yeah, season two Azula was basically just generic crazy evil woman. So I yeah. agree with that at least. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like uh, I know that Reese said that. Uh, I think that Reese, you said that your least favorite is season one. I gotta yeah. say, season one's my favorite. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put down my chips there i always like i'm i'm a i'm a zhao enjoyer i'm i'm a big fan of zhao i always like that he's like he's like if you extrapolated zuko in season one to the future he is zhao and i always like that because i always like when there's like a a a villain fighting a protagonist who is like the villain is kind of like the future extrapolation of the 
protagonist's current mm. trajectory. And in a so, sense, Zuko is also kind of the protagonist in addition to Aang. So what you're saying about Zhao being like future Zuko kind of yeah, makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was, I'm always that. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a sipping my tea in the background Zhao enjoyer while everybody else <laughs> debates whether season two Azula or season three Azula is better. So I'm, I'm happy to, to set my chips down there. Well, but... I will say this, Tom, uh, for me, uh, as far as which one's my favorite season, I go back and forth a lot between season one and season two, because to Reese's point, season one is the cheapest looking of them because of budgetary concerns at the time. It, it wasn't a hit show yet. So Nickelodeon probably wasn't throwing as much money at it yet. In a way, the cheapness kind of adds a charm to it for me, but I'm just weird like that, you know, the weird hipster me. But uh, I also do like the sort of like looser, more episodic feel of season one. But what I like about season two is, first of all, Toph because Toph is great. Yeah, Toph <laughs> Absolutely. Is great. And yeah. Also, um, I, I think season two was kind of like a nice balance between like it was still episodic and but it was also like starting to deal with like some heavier stuff too. Sometimes a little bit of a mix like that is also nice. So I go back and forth between the two of them depending on my mood. But anyway, sorry to cut you off, Tom. I was just I wanted to add to your season one support. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean season two season two is like one percent worse than season one for me i mean like season two is still outstanding it's just i i uh, and maybe i am simply perhaps there's a little little that just loves being a contrarian but i'm like season one is my cup of tea uh there's there's too many good episodes in season one that are just outstanding yeah i like them all i even like the the all the episodes in season one i mean i even like that one episode that nobody likes the the great divide is it the oh yeah, yeah. the great i divide. even like that shit <laughs> <laughs> well jeez, you're the, the one going in shit <laughs> i mean i think the ending is kind of cool of that episode where i just completely makes up the history that has been dividing like these two like cultures these two people um, and then he's, and then like they come together because of the story that he said, and like Katara's like, that's amazing that like you um, you were there to know all that. Yeah, or you can just call it a lie. I mean, it's like, well, sometimes the perceived truth is better. You know, if everyone's happier, does it really matter what actually happened? I'm like, well, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the Ang fortune teller his, episode. Uh... Go ahead, Tom. Oh, uh, Ang flexes his perhaps lack of scruples there for a moment. Yeah. You see, like this innocent do-gooder kid, and then he's like, "Did I lie to get those people to cooperate so that I could get what I need?" Yes, and I don't regret it. I'm trying to save the world. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? He through the whole thing, he is still a kid. He's what? Not even ten. 12 <laughs> or, okay 12 i mean and you know i that's what i i agree i do like that episode as well because it shows him you know, he saw uh so much bad stuff and he's still like i am gonna do shenanigans yeah, yeah. no i i and think I it's a very hated episode i think it's fine I, I, yeah yeah I, I was going to say, I think the fortune teller episode might be one of my favorites in the whole show. That was also in season one. And uh, same with the storm, the, which was the midpoint. It was sort of oh, like the so midseason. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the fucking movie, um, the movie basically <laughs> took three episodes of the show and turned three episodes of season one and turned it into a movie. So act one was basically like the pilot episode. 
And then Act 3 was the Season 1 finale episode, which, okay, that kind of makes sense. But then for some reason, for the middle part, for Act 2, they picked the episode where Zuko puts on a blue mask and helps Aang for a little bit. That Like, why that one? That's so random. Like, I understand that Zuko's going to be redeemed down the road, but you really don't need to do- use that episode uh, where he's the storm would have been a perfect middle act for that movie. It's already the mid-season point, like, and it, it shows their origins, like, it's a no-brainer, like, how, do, how did they miss that? How did M. Night Shyamalan miss that? Like, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, personally, I think the Blue Spirit is one of the best episodes in the It is, but, like, that doesn't mean it works for a movie. Like, ah! I mean, I don't know, isn't that the episode where he, like, rescues Aang and then Aang's, like, do you think if we met a hundred years ago, we would be friends? And then Zuko tries to shoot fire at him, and they like run, disappear. <laughs> and then Zuko's left there, sitting like, "Ah, oh, shit! I guess I could be friends with him one day." Like, I don't yeah. know. I think that's a great scene. I think it's one of the best scenes in the entire show. <laughs> it is. It is. But I guess like my point is that Shyamalan was thinking too like forward with that. Like, oh maybe, yeah. You know, yeah, Zuko's yeah. gonna be redeemed in like my second or third movie or whatever. So I gotta set that up. But like, and I understand where he was coming from there. But like, a lot of people were walking into that movie blind, like not knowing anything about the lore and stuff. And where he's using the storm would have been a perfect like device for like. I don't know, catching people up on what's going on and getting, giving people like a better sense of who these characters actually are, where they're coming and where they're going, you know. Well, I gotta say, Henry, you're making a bold assumption here that M. Night Shyamalan was thinking at all. <laughs> <Not fair. laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, maybe yeah. you picked the Blue Spirit because it's a little bit more action-y or something? I don't know. Yeah, that's fair too. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, I, I agree with Henry in the sense that like... um. Uh, the storm just feels like it would like place in better, not just because of exposition, but to me, it's because like it really shows like the inner workings of like uh, Zuko's mind. Whereas the blue spirit, I would agree with you, Tom, 100% that that scene where like Aang's like, maybe we could have been friends, you know, if things were different, it was really powerful. But I feel it's powerful because it's a silent moment where we have the context of who Zuko is um, and who Aang is. And so while we kind of knew a little bit about who Aang was in the first act. Zuko, I feel like, would have benefited from some, like, fleshing out with uh, the storm as a middle ground. Um, but, yeah. I mean... Yeah, no, I, I... 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 love what you said there, and also, I should make the note that I defer to all of you on anything that the movie should have done, because I'm the one here who hasn't seen the movie. So I have no <laughs> idea what the heck goes on in that thing. We to be fair. The next time you come up, Tom, and just, like, make fun of it together. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah I, would. I would say, um, I've heard in the movie that, like, firebenders can't shoot fire from their hands. They, like, need fire to do it. Uh, yes. Shoot fire. Which I would say, I kind of actually like that. Yeah, because I remember for a long time while watching the show, that bothered me. I was like, how the fuck can they do that? And then I know it's explained (laughs) in the third season, but I actually didn't mind the explanation so much. I I forgot about the movie because all the other benders, they need that element around to do. Right, right. Like Toph doesn't make Earth appear out of thin air. Right. If she did, she would be even more yeah. insanely powerful. You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm fine with the way that the firebenders do work, but it's just like, it would be cool if they had to firebend 
fire because then like water vendors could put out their fire. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been cool um I, I when like they're invading as a nation because they like set things on fire and set house on fire and then they can use that. But at an individual level, once in a while, when they fight just with a couple of goons, like, are they going to take out, like, a torch and, like, a, a lighter and be like, oh, wait, wait, just give me a second. I got to start my fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I think what it is in the movie um, is that, like, quote, unquote, like, master firebenders, like Iroh and Ozai and stuff, can just shoot fire from their hands. And then I don't the difference that. is that Sozin's comet makes it so that every firebender can shoot fire from their hands instead of like it makes everybody yeah. be like master level instead of having to summon it. Which I also think I kind of like more than what Sozin Comet actually does, which is turns the episode into a Dragon Ball Z episode. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Actually. So I, I will say, I've never seen this movie. I am not saying that it is good. <laughs> I am yeah, well, even the worst things could sometimes I... have good ideas. So. Yeah, exactly. I have heard that yeah. these couple of things exist, and they sound cool on paper. That is all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? Because throughout the series, we see all three of them, um, Katara, Aang, and Toph, have to figure out something because they don't have the element. Really good point, Reese. They do and, always. And you pit never them. Yeah. see that with Zuko. Yep. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's just like that extra level of them having to MacGyver it. Like in the third season, there's some episode where like Katara bends her sweat or something. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. what a badass. Like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, so it's cool stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's and how I feel like learns to metal bend. Like, yeah. she's yeah. to metal bend because she's deprived of resources and stuff. I don't know. Some of the best, like, character development or, like, skill development is because of that. And firebenders, firebenders get off easy, man. No wonder they're taking over the world. They cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <Yeah>. They cheat. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, and I would argue that, like, Aang, I feel like big air for the most part you almost always have access to it but i always felt like compared to water earth or fire it never quite hit as hard because of the philosophy because they're very pacifist but also because air inherently usually doesn't strike as hard as other things um so i think it kind of like balanced itself out where like uh yeah airbenders kind of like you almost always could bend but um they they couldn't hit quite as hard, and it was like an expression of freedom. Like we're not tethered usually by our situation; we were kind of free. So I feel like in that sense they were a bit more balanced. But I agree. Like fire bending is then like, well, you can catch things on fire. Fire can be alive without them doing anything, um, and they have an almost unlimited resource. So I, I, I never thought about it, but yeah, I mean, I guess they're kind of cheap. <laughs> Yes, also, uh, you were just bringing up, uh, one thing also I don't like in the third season, because I think it's the third season that does it, is um, there's like a couple of firebenders, I think it's Azula and Ozai mainly, who start using firebending as a jetpack, and I always thought that it was cooler that like airbenders had that like freedom, as you were just saying, Ken, like it's kind of like their element almost works differently, where they get to like untether themselves and like they don't really have a ton of offensive abilities, but they get this like liberating freedom over movement, and and like like they live in the mountains to kind of like flex that. 
And it kind of like becomes weird when like Azula is just like, well, I guess I could just create jet thrust out of my hands and become <laughs> Iron Man. I don't know. It, yeah. It's not like it's not like super criminal. It's not like I'm out here like docking points or anything. But it it did just remind me that it's like I don't know. Firebending feels a little bit weird to me in terms of its mechanics relative to the other ones. I guess. I think that the biggest thing for me that was like I don't see how that is related to fire was lightning, and they 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 really go into explaining like oh, oh yeah. you it's the cold you. fire. <laughs> The cold fire bending. <laughs> like, but but fire doesn't really have much to do with lightning. And like, if you're just like breaking your chi and then having it clash together, which I kind of, can more or less can kind of get behind. Like, I understand. I'm like, wouldn't that be something that almost any bender Anybody can do? Could do yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't chi? that factor under energy bending or something? You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I always thought that's weird. And then they get combustion bending and lightning, and I'm like, oh, you guys have a lot of things going on for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with the third eye guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I forgive them for lightning bending just for one thing. I love when Iroh says, they call lightning the cold fire. <laughs> I love that line. I don't know why I do, but I love it. <laughs> so they get lightning bending, sure. As long as Iroh gets that line. I'm cool. <laughs> I love Iroh. Why is the spinoff not like Iroh? About the Iroh. Yeah. yeah. Well, the original the original voice actor died after season yeah, two. That's why in season three he doesn't speak much because they just use a sound alike. Uh, but I, I honestly think the sound alike that they got does it close enough. So I yeah I, agreed. Yeah, he yeah. did a good job. Yeah. Oh, actually, this is an interesting question. Um, Henry and I have, have talked about this like in our own texts and whatnot. Um, but it would be interesting to pose it to the rest of the three of you. Uh, we've said that like if you we would prefer because like the future of the avatar world has already been set in this like kind of steampunky like people start using lightning bending for manufacturing and metal bending for manufacturing there's planes and robots and stuff um we we were saying that like if we wanted to see it continued we'd wanted to see it go back into the past but it's kind of an interesting thing since it sounds like we're getting a lot of future stuff how do you how do you, the three of you feel about like past versus future versus like distant future near future like what what is your most preferred venue time wise uh at least for me definitely the past i do think it just adds a bit of mysticism um i'm not opposed to like far into the future but i think for me, at least, I will always see that as a fun spin-off at most. I will just feel like, yeah, you're putting these characters in this world in a different situation and just kind of throwing it out there versus if they did more stories kind of like in the past with a little bit less technology, then you still feel like uh, you're in a bit more of a magical world. <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it. you can do all of it well, but it's I think you have a head start if you're in the past because, like, I agree with Ken. There's, like, a little bit more, like, kind of mystery around it. Whereas, like, if you're trying to do future, like, unless you start going into the far future, which is, like, the other end of, like, trying to imagine. But then that's, like, sci-fi. And then what is the show about anymore? Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like 
it's it's you you kind of have a head start if you if you do Avatar: The Last Airbender in the past where things feel kind of more connected to that whole like spirituality aspect of it. I think that's, yeah, I think that's where they would do best. Yeah. I, I agree that past would be better for but for actually a different reason, I think something that the, almost the majority of Korra suffered from was that the whole thing is under Aang's shadow. And yeah. I think anything in the future is always going to be that way. Um, yeah. Um, unless he's forgotten, you know, in the super distant future, mm-hmm. people are going to remember who he is. And, yeah, I mean, he's like even, he, there's he's even, even the statue. fucking Statue of Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, literally, um, there's probably a scene that takes place in the shadow of Aang. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There exactly. is. Yeah. Where, whereas at the, in the past, um, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I was with the hype on Korra when they did the first Avatar. Um, oh, one. One, flashbacks. One, I love the art direction. And two, I liked, it was super mystic. You know, they, the, the past that was what? I mean, thousands of years before Aang was so different from what we saw in the original series and it'd be cool to see kind of an intermediary period and what they could do with that. And also, you know, kind of what Shalom said, there's so much you can do um, in the past, even though it's, it's, you know, more or less cemented because it already happened, but we don't know what's happened (laughs) other than, other than, you know, the, three previous avatars we don't really know much beyond that yeah they've only really defined like a few avatars going into the past and you see in that like mausoleum of the avatar that there's a lot of those dudes yeah (laughs) like there's a lot of them (laughs) so i'm sure that like you could just pick any period of time and just go 700 years before ang or whatever 700 years before Roku, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's also, I think, cool, too, because you we would get the Air Nomads back, and that's something yeah. we haven't yeah. seen a whole lot of. So, Yeah. That's such a good point. It is. And I, I personally also, if they were to stay in the past, but still close enough to uh, Aang's time, I would love, like, an Ira origin story, his travels, how he gained his wisdom, how he spared the dragons, how he, and the ultimate kind of like ending being like, you know, the siege of Ba Sing Se and seeing him in his prime and then losing his son. Yeah, if they were, that was actually what reminded me of it, of to ask the question was, I think Shalom brought up Iroh's past and it's like, uh, if if they were to go into like the immediate past, I feel like Iroh would be a pretty compelling character to show like how he got to where he was. Like, it sounds like he has a pretty, you know, like vivid life and career. And you'd kind of see the beginnings of the Fire Nation going bad from his perspective, which would be kind of fascinating to see. But yeah, I, I no, I th- I think that the the big uh, and Henry, maybe you have more to say about this, but like I think the biggest thing is that once you go like once they've they've already established in Korra that a hundred ish years in the future or so, like seventy ish years in the future, 
we're already talking about like airplanes. Like that's a that's yeah. a big because I think there's rumors that the next show is going to be about the next Earthbender Avatar after Korra, and that one's going to be all like Blade Runner sci-fi. Like it's going to be even more advanced. So because it's like you said, now it's like you're just increasing exponentially your technological yeah, like advancements. If, if you had to put a year to like what Avatar: The Last Airbender was in our timeline, you'd probably pick something in like the 900s or like 800, like in the hundreds. Yeah, but then like seventy years in the future, you're now talking about Wilbur Wright, and it's yeah, like yeah. okay, so technology is moving fast in this world. So yeah. like, and I understand that metal bending has made that possible. Thank you, Toph. Uh, but like, yeah, you're 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 rapidly going to turn into like Jedi, like <laughs> just like <laughs> traveling on spaceships to distant planets where there are like. I don't even know, like uh, uh, helium gas benders or something, and they have a monopoly over the spice trade or whatever. So yeah. that actually sounds kind of cool. Now that you say it that way, but <laughs> no. we'll see what they do. Maybe they'll capitalize on the uh, success of um, cyberpunk edge runners or whatever to make cyber benders edge benders. Cyber benders. Oh, imagine like a, a Buddhist monk with like a robotic arm air bending while shooting a laser from his eye. Well, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to get too conspiratorial here, but I'm pretty sure in the cyberpunk games, there actually are a bunch of quest lines with Buddhist monks in them. There like, are, yes. Because like Buddhism is apparently supposed to be like the one religion that's like still around, basically, or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know, Ken. Be careful what you joke about. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the we already know I... that James Cameron listens to this podcast yeah. <laughs> right. that we established last time. So who knows? All maybe, I want... uh, maybe DiMartino <laughs> listens to this and is like, aha, these guys are giving me free ideas. <laughs> what were you going to say, Reese? Um, yeah. Ken first. I was going to say the only thing I don't want to see you know, in that future is I, the, oh, there's so many non-benders, we feel oppressed by the benders again. Because um, we already saw that in Korra, and I feel like that's the only thing that a futuristic society would have. Because um, we see that in sci-fi so much of, you know, the, the people with the power are Oh yeah, like using have have nots or have and have nots situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like they didn't really capitalize that on on that very well in the first season of Korra. I thought that was like an interesting premise, but then it just turns out that Amon is like a fraud. Yeah, yeah. And the biggest thing is that like after season one, no one ever talks about this. Exactly. Probably yeah. be ongoing for many generations after. <laughs> but um, if anything, if it went far into the future, I feel like the positions would reverse because there are so many more non-benders. They would eventually like outclass the the benders just because technology allows them to. And then I would almost feel like it would be a storyline about like, oh, there are very few benders in general left, and they're kind of like they kind of hide their abilities. Oh, and then you know what? Then we're Ken... back to Star Wars Episode Four. I was about to yeah. say that's Star Wars. <laughs> Ken, yeah. Ken, and, Ken and Reese just found it. I think that the the plot is going to be that bending is now taboo. Oh, it's totally yeah. going to be that. It's totally going to be that. Probably. And... I, I just want some royalties. Just, just a measly 05 percent, please. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there's going to be uh, uh, Darfu. 
Vader eye, <laughs> and he's going to have hunted down the last firebenders. And now, uh, Luke Luke's on is going to be uh, yeah. No, yeah, no. Our our our, um, exactly Earth, like our Earth bending avatar will be from the desert. In yes, kingdom. Exactly, he'll be a moisture farmer. From the, the moisture farmer. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll look out at a majestic sunset while beautiful music plays somehow. Yes. And there, there will be backstory that some firebender created a second sun, so it will be a binary sunset. <laughs> but no, I I I think I think uh I I see what you're saying, Reese, that you wouldn't want to repeat that. And then also I think Ken inadvertently just predicted the future. I feel like a, a plot line that they're going to probably do at some point, and it would make sense if for a future show, is like bending has become taboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, technology now rules the day. And there's this app called TikTok. If you're, t- if you're, you're, if you're bending instead of TikToking, you're a loser. <laughs> TikTok. Henry, how do you feel about this? this future that Ken has preordained. <laughs> well, so it sounds like for the shows or at least the one show they're making, they're thinking about going far in the future. There's also rumors about possibly a Kiyoshi show, so that would be far in the past. But for the movies, as in like the theatrical theatrical animated movies that they're making, apparently they're going to make one about Aang in his 20s and then one about Zuko in his 20s. And then there's a third movie that they haven't said what it's about yet, but a lot of people are thinking it'll be about Korra when she's a little bit older. So how do we feel about those? I mean, I guess we talked about those earlier that like there's already comics that cover that. You you asked me that after, you know, me introducing me not being cynical and I yeah, I hadn't really been following it mainly because ignorance is bliss for me when it comes to the future of television and um, <laughs> the more I hear us talking about it, the more the less I am uh, enthusiastic about them yeah um, but you see, know, I, I think it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword where we want more of the characters that we loved yeah but I don't know if we see the what they become does that ruin what the they original were. series yeah yeah you i know. think the main thing that i would be concerned about is again kind of goes back to like the world building aspects that we've been talking about here with like would you prefer the past or the future i think that the only thing that would be like kind of weird is are they going to make it like where do you place the world building in like is republic city starting to become a thing has it not i think so land like uh what what level of industry is the world that like i know that these sound like really weird awkward like technical pointlessly minute questions but i really do feel like they will the answers to them will drastically affect how the show feels Mm -hmm. um yeah and I wouldn't really want a rehash of Avatar The Last Airbender, to be fair, but I also feel like it's very easy to step too far in kind of either direction. Like, make yeah. it too not changed, or too changed already. Yeah. And the need, you know, for some of the background 
to get new viewers because if people haven't seen it and they jump in they might not know what's going on yeah that's um, a good point too. too it's like you kind of have to always keep in mind that there are people out here who somehow have not <laughs> watched this amazing show get <laughs> get off your butts people and watch it. you know it's sorry <laughs> for spoiling all this by the way <laughs> for me the weirdest part randomly enough is going to be seeing ang and zuko and katara and Sokka and all these people not in the old school four by three aspect ratio but in the new like rectangle 16 by nine aspect ratio <laughs> with, with you know cgi backgrounds instead of hand-drawn backgrounds because it's basically going to look it's going to look like cora it's you know like at least in the in that sense you know but it's going to be yeah. with those original characters. That that's going to be the weird part for me. They're going to be I mean, animated movies. The movies, the movies are, yeah. Oh, we so haven't the, seen that in a while. Yeah, like a, yeah, a theatrically released animated movie. Yeah, two D yeah. movie, mostly two D, mostly two yeah. D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think I feel like if they were to do the story of Ang in his twenties. I would think about how, like, we were all talking a lot about, like, his innocence and how he was a kid. Um, and in a way, the ending of Avatar The Last Airbender being, like, him kind of almost holding on to that. I wonder if, like, the story would be focused on, like, how even though that fight with the la- with um, Ozai didn't get to change him, the sands of time over time did kind of make him mature and almost become more jaded. And, like, what he has to find is kind of, like, that sense of hopefulness that he used to or something like that along those lines. Um, and Zuko, I, I would be interested in kind of like seeing what kind of what they did a little bit with the comics, which is that like, even though he is a better person, it's so easy for him to fa- fall back into bad habits of being overly proud, angry, and just want to prove something. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that like whatever they end up doing with his movies, like kind of like, stay true to some extent to the character arcs. Um, and if they do change it, kind of like address it being like uh, what caused these characters to change or be changing. Yeah, actually you kind of bring up some interesting points, Ken, that I hadn't really thought about. I feel like these char- the two characters, it's always difficult to pick a character. Like it's always hard to continue a character who completed their character arc. Like, cause kind of goes against the nature of the whole design but i'm having like a very difficult time imagining like what story or stakes you give post avatar the last airbender ang yeah zuko to like worried that they're gonna give them a story you know like zuko like is it going to be mostly like political like people challenging him on the fire nation throne that seems very dry for people kids thing especially yeah and then and like, not only that, Aang like, has already learned all the bending. So, like, what threat is going to come around? I don't know. It felt, it seems like a very precarious situation to be in. I do not envy these people. Yeah. And what I was going to add to that was that Ken brought up the point, like, he made an example of maybe Zuko kind of still has some of his, like, old ways in him. Like, he still has, like, erratic behavior yeah. and stuff, which, like, to me, that sounds cool. But the problem with that is that that sounds like what they did with Luke in The Last Jedi, where, like, you find out in that flashback that Luke kind of has that relapse where he ignites the lightsaber on Kylo, which is like supposed to be echoing how he confronting Darth Vader and return of the Jedi. And though I think what the idea they were going for there was that Luke still has a little bit of that in him. 
And like people didn't like that, <laughs> like at, le- at least at the time. I don't know about now. So like if they do something like that with Zuko, people probably won't like it. You know, like I don't know. They, yeah, they're kind, of, they're kind of stepping into Last Jedi territory. There, yeah. <laughs> Going full circle. I yeah. do think that if they do go with something like that with Zuko's character, the ultimate climax of the movie should be that Zuko can lightning bend. Because lightning being the... Even in the last airbender, he was never able to do it. So him what? being able to do it... What? No, he didn't could he redirect. redirect it at some point. That's what he did, right? Yes, but he cannot uh, produce he it. He didn't do it himself. He doesn't have internal peace. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because well, Henry something. was saying he thought he did it, but I think it's just redirection. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's something, at least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they definitely but then I was talking that. about, like, uh, what's her name? Ray with uh, electricity and whatnot. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Oh, I guess another loose end is Azula. I, I think I heard that they're continuing her story in the form of comics, too, but I, I would. I would be okay with seeing her more in movies because even though i didn't like her initially in season two like i said she grew on me by season three i think there's things you could do there so that's yeah something, i guess yeah i think it's telling that we're trying to figure out what the movies are possibly going to be about because like what like the, the whole thing with the avatar the last airbender to me it always felt like it was supposed to end at the end of season three it felt like that was the end like period it's done (laughs) and then we got Korra and I was like oh this is interesting it just kind of keeps going it's like I I don't know I I feel like it's maybe it should have just ended when it was have you considered considered money though (laughs) (laughs) i I do i like the way you're thinking but i have i'm concerned about the poor dollar signs no i mean it's 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 a shame because it's a lot of these things like you you see a story in its original intended environment which is kind of like step by step it's like even like clearly they had the idea of like first book will be water second book will be earth third book will be fire and that's like very appropriate that you know zuko and ang their relationship would culminate teaching him firebending all that stuff like the broad strokes are all planned but even at the time like they were probably working out episode by episode and plot or like season by season. oh they definitely were and it's like it's like they they fortunately had a really good groundwork so they were able to guide a store that story to its completion pretty like very effectively and then along comes Korra and it's like oh well we really just have this one-off idea for like a 13 episode season and Nickelodeon's like but have you seen the ratings and they're like okay I guess we could make some more and now it's like well you you the floodgates are already open it's like Korra like it was quote-unquote supposed to end after Avatar Last Airbender and then Korra was, quote-unquote, supposed to end after the first season. And then it's like, okay, well, they're not going to make any more animated stuff. Until now we are. So, <laughs> it's like, it, it, yeah, it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to draw the line on these things. And the problem is that somebody, one of us said, like, you want to see more of the character. I think it was Reese. You want to see more of the characters you know and love. Aang is awesome. Zuko's awesome. Katara's awesome. Like, it's a, such a great cast. But all of these characters have completed what we call their character arc. 
And it's like, unfortunately, characters don't really work like real people. You can't just like check in on your old buddy Katara. You can't just text her <laughs> yeah. and be like, yo, Katara, what have you been up for the last up to for the last yeah. years? And she'll be like, well, I've been doing this. It's like she'll text you back. I completed my character arc. Stop worrying about me. Like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's, that's something I actually um now that you bring that up, uh, looking back, enjoyed about Korra was that we do see Toph, we do see Katara, but they're special guest stars, one-time only deal. Yeah. Um, yeah so at least you know, we get to well. revisit them. They're now on, you know, gray and old and or in the spirit realm. Um, but you know, it, we don't. We get just enough to get our appetites wet, but not so much that you know their character breaks apart for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, where do we? Where, like, when? When the in the opening scene of the Ang movie, it's like we get to see. Presumably, we'll get to see good old Ang, and maybe we'll get to see Katara or Sokka or somebody like that, Toph, whoever. But it's like, how far? And obviously, in those immediate moments, we'll be super excited that it's like, oh, these characters are back. But yeah. like, will that? Will they be able to carry that feeling effectively throughout the whole movie? Or at some point in the movie, will they go? Will people start to feel like, hmm, I don't really feel like that's where Ang, what Ang would be doing, or I don't really like this interpretation of twenty-two-year-old Katara. I'm personally yeah. a big fan of this. As like, that's when you start getting just the breakdown of like everybody has a different imagine like head canon for where these characters yeah. went because yeah it was or, you know, why, meant to why be is Sokka now a serious adult instead of being a silly child yeah, yeah. what <laughs> happens when Sokka isn't just the meat and sarcasm guy yeah who knows yeah no that'll happen that's inevitable <laughs> yeah <laughs> on top of that then at the same time as all this is happening we're getting Netflix's live action remake of season one which we already got in a live action movie form 12 years ago but we need to do it again (laughs) am i the only one who like okay let's assume that live action netflix uh avatar the last airbender season one is a smash hit literally every single person on the planet loves it not even the contrarians like me and henry what happens in like is it just me or does like it feels like in the year 2023, Toph cannot be executed well live action. I, I'm sorry. I, like, the the representation issue, the, like, people being far more, like, uh, concerned about, like, tone deafness and everything. Uh, there is, like, a term. It's like, it just feels like that is a minefield that they are walking into. In my it, opinion. I don't do you know. mean because she's blind or like... Uh... Yeah, like the, the representation of like uh, of like portraying blindness and like having the right actress and all this stuff. It's like, it just feels like it's such a nightmare to actually have to cast and direct and like convey... It, there's so many pitfalls, and it's yeah. like, well, they pulled it off with Daredevil, so it, it could. I was happen. gonna say, just get Charlie Cox and give him a wig. A wig and be yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I kind of hope we get someone that is blind because we've seen, and I don't know if you've seen, um, but we as a culture <laughs> have seen um, 
a lots of deaf people uh, in the last five, ten years. Yeah, I mean, they um, whether they won an Oscar. it's um, what a Quiet Place or Hush, um, both horror films. Um, or what's that one other... that won the Oscar? I forget the name of it, but the one with all deaf people in it uh, that won last year. Um, that... Yeah, I don't know the name. Yeah. But we haven't seen a lot of blind people besides Daredevil, and he's a superhero. Yeah, yeah, and that's so... that's kind of like what I'm going for. I mean, I'm I'm inserting my own personal taste now into when I'm saying this is what I'm saying here, but like, I think that it should be kind of like an attempt, like because to me, and I'm I'm speaking as a person who grew up watching Avatar: The Last Airbender, like to me, Toph was like a revolutionary character. Like, it's like, it's like, forget the fact, like, okay, she's blind. And it's like, all right, I've seen characters, like people portray characters with, with disabilities or whatever before. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 you don't get it. This is a superpower. And like, you watch her and she's so like confident about it. She carries herself so well. She handles herself well. She ends up literally teaching the main protagonist how to earthbend like she's such a compelling character that like totally flips all of your expectations on their head and it's like i feel like the only way to do that justice in a live action show is to like legit cast a blind person maybe that's just my opinion i don't know but again to me it's it's a difficult question to answer and it feels like it's like them pointlessly setting themselves up for trouble by just like wanting to cash in on Avatar The Last Airbender. It's like they haven't thought about that issue in the second season and are just like, well, people will sign up for Netflix subscriptions to watch our show. They love the money. It's like, I really don't think that it's it just feels like such a business decision as opposed to like what it should mean culturally but i don't know that's just me yeah i wouldn't it's like i'm so jaded about hollywood now that i'm i'm like picturing some like producer being like um you know just like from an executive like a business perspective i think we should make toff like cited yeah exactly like i yeah that would suck (laughs) for sure that would definitely suck um what if they're all white (laughs) 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 what if they're all blonde and have blue eyes (laughs) but yeah actually have they even like revealed any casting on the show (laughs) oh season one's already filmed it's it's uh yeah the it's locked in uh the, the the casting does seem to be a little more accurate this time compared to the 2010 movie. Uh, I, the guy from Kim's Convenience is playing Iroh. Um, I forget the rest. But I know that for some reason, even though it's season one, Azula and her two friends are, they're already in it in season one because they're already cast and huh. like shot stuff for it and everything. So they are taking some artistic liberties with it. Like it's not going to be an exact one-to-one remake. And um, but Toph's not cast yet. They are saving that for the future. Uh, but I do know that they also said it's only going to be eight episodes, not twenty episodes. So that I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're eight episodes that are all like an hour long each, or and they're consolidating yeah. some episodes together. And that would or make something. sense. I, I mean, because there is so much filler in season one. Yeah, I suppose we're not going to see. Yeah. 
the great divide <laughs> or as much as I like it or the fortune teller episode or, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Admittedly, <laughs> like, uh, TV sensibilities have kind of changed. changed. People don't really like, like episodic stuff anymore. Sadly. Yeah. Like yeah. you're not going to find people raving about like good old Picard encountering an alien that possessed his coffee machine and he has to deal <laughs> with that for 45 minutes. People are going to be like b- review bombing that, uh, yeah, <laughs> you just gotta make like a single season that is eight hours of just intense. Like any person going through this would just lose their minds. <laughs> but the main yeah. protagonist is fine. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it sounds like that's what they're gonna do. It's it's interesting that uh, the the Mean Girls are in season. Yeah, one. yeah, that's an interesting choice. I think the guy from Kim's Convenience is the perfect live action casting for Iroh, though. So that the old I don't, guy. I don't know that show. I wish I knew the guy's name. He's cool. Uh, and very the good rest show. of them, they're, they're not famous, but I looked at the pictures of who they are and I'm like, yeah, that looks like what Zuko would look like in real life. That looks like what Katara would look like in real life. So that, that part they seem to be getting better at. Because <laughs> in the movie, it was bad. In <laughs> the movie yeah. from 10 years ago. <laughs> it was just really bad. I just, I, I don't know what they were thinking. If at all. (laughs) It just like was bad. It was just like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. (laughs) Like the from the plot, which I like I've seen Avatar the Last Airbender, but I still couldn't follow the plot of the movie. I was like, wait, they're (laughs) they're here now? Wait, what? (laughs) What's happening? Yeah. It was not good. Yeah. Yeah. Did not realize that Netflix is doing I did not realize that the Netflix thing was live action. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I mean, just because of the movie, the live action movie, I'm like, I'm like very cautious. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and that's the I only like one I knew like... about. I didn't know that they were doing the other future animated films. Um, yeah, but the one thing confusing. I do, you know, I, yeah. I the one thing I, I love the world building in the show, and I loved how each bending is a different style. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see that in live action done well, um, as opposed to the way it was done in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's like either going to be like legendarily awesome or legendarily bad. I mean, I guess they already have a template of how to do it legendarily bad, which is the 2010 movie. So I guess they can just look at that movie and go, well, let's just do the opposite of this. And then it'll be good. I don't know. But it feels like live action Avatar is either like, it's going to be the most amazing visual experience of like some sort of mix between like the the Jedi and Jackie Chan or it's going to be like a nightmare that you're just like, oh, I feel bad for these actors for yeah. participating in this. <laughs> hopefully it's the former. Hopefully right. they, you know, hopefully they pull a, a Dune where, you know, it may be a remake, but it's better than the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one one would hope. Yeah. That another, is a good example. Yeah. Another thing that they may have not considered is I don't know how young these actors are. But if they're gonna make it a series, and you know, production takes a while. They're <laughs> like, young. No, no, don't worry. They're young. They're young. I looked at their pictures. They, they're pretty young. They, they yeah. definitely purposefully casted younger people because they know that, like, you know, they, they can't grow up too fast. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't like 
casting young actors like really risky though because people change so much between the ages of like 10 and 15 like they're like different humans by the time yeah. the five years are over yeah. harry potter by the I last year too yeah jacked <laughs> he's like yeah i'm 17 but totally man totally <laughs> yeah in reality he was like 25 or something like that yeah yeah i'm just yeah, I'm thinking of like um what about stranger things with fucking thin wolf heart <laughs> Change oh, yeah, I mean, they were young when they started that show yeah that's true yeah i was just thinking of it because I, i've been recently watching um buffy the vampire slayer and like supposedly there was like a person who was set up to be the main antagonist of like the second season who was introduced in the first season and they were a kid and like literally in like a year he he changed too much just because puberty is a thing mm-hmm. and they had to like cut him from the show like they killed off his character it's like, oh, that, that, like, that, like that stuff's like crazy like yeah like, oh, kids but some grow up real fast. Yeah, that's true. Something I did forget though is that I did read that Netflix said that if season one is successful and they greenlight seasons two and three, they will film seasons two and three at the same time as well. That's smart. That's so, good. for that that's the way to do it. Reason. Yeah. Also, um, Tom, I've never seen um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I think I would watch it just to see Pet be like, "Have you lost your way?" <laughs> I don't know why. I saw a scene that says something like that. Is he in that? Yeah, he is. I think it was yep. his first big role. Oh. Yep. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is really good. Well, I mean, oh. like it's it's good if you uh, are in the mood for like n- late '90s, early 2000s action cheese. Oh, you know. I love, I love cheese. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's you know, it's it's a it's a relic of its time. It's it's amazing. <laughs> when I watch it, I'm I I forget that I'm in the in the year 2023. I I expect at any moment for my landline to ring, <laughs> your AOL dial-up internet to start up with that stupid noise. Oh yeah, yeah. I I go I go online to watch Buffy, and my internet goes, and I'm like, ah, I'm back in the past. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, if you're ever in the mood for it, I would recommend it. It's good. Nice, nice. Did you guys used to have AIM usernames? No, what's no. that? AOL AIM instant messaging. Uh, I, I did not. Yeah, I think I used High Five for a second, but not AOL. <laughs> we all had AOL instant messenger. I don't that know is... why that yeah. instead of yeah i don't know why that instead of like we transitioned to facebook i think when i was like in high school yeah the first thing i used was msn i think i don't know (laughs) i don't know those were wonderful wacky times when we were all figuring out what the internet was yeah (laughs) remember myspace oh my gosh do i what was that (laughs) remember myspace (laughs) oh myspace yes uh, do you guys remember Mega Video? <laughs> oh yeah, Mega oh. Upload, Mega Video. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, to your point about like, will this make people actually buy Netflix subscriptions? I don't know. I mean, Netflix is doing that thing now, where I think they're like geocoding where you are, and then if you're not in the same geographic place, they're gonna make you buy your own subscription. So they said they were gonna do that, and then everybody bitched about it, and their stock tanked, and then they retracted that. So really. Yeah, yeah, apparently for now it's not happening. For now, 
it's not happening. Yeah, you watch. They're going to do it in the background. They're just yeah, yeah, it. yeah. They'll they'll <laughs> still do it, or so. they'll find some way to like use existing systems to track it so that they don't have to launch an update that people can like figure it out. Like yeah. they'll figure some way out. There's no yeah. way that they're sacrificing money. Mm-hmm. They're also going to hold the. The episode's hostage. It's gonna be like uh, one episode every two months. You know, <laughs> you need to oh, buy yeah. every month. <laughs> I just I was talking about this with Ken. Like, I think that that is so like blame the user. Like we we Ken and I pay for HBO because we HBO has Last of Us. Like it has get, like uh, House of the Dragon. Like we we can't not have HBO because we're gonna miss stuff. With Netflix, it's like they are like reviving old IPs and what up? Like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I know we had talked about this before on the side uh, in one of our private conversations, but like a lot of the streaming services seem to like they don't know what they want to be. Like um, HBO has the advantage of like being like they're all about the premiere kind of where the elite kind of that's like what they were going for back when they were just a TV channel. And that's what they're still going for now as a streaming service. Whereas Netflix like kind of wants to do that too, but they also want to just make any B movie that they can get their hands on. So like they're just like throwing everything they can at the wall and seeing what sticks. And Disney kind of has the opposite problem where like instead of doing too much like Netflix, they're kind of doing too little because they only own five or six brands. And yes, they're the biggest brands in the world, but there's only so much you could do with five or six brands. So they're kind of like milking those things dry so yeah a lot of the streaming services right now feel like they're having like identity crises and i yep. think like this avatar the last Airbender remake show on netflix is like a part of that uh, also i don't think that's something we've mentioned about the live action remake that i was just thinking about this from like the business side because that's what we were just talking about didn't didn't they have the original guys on board and then they left over the classic creative differences. Yep. Isn't that a bad sign? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't that like a terrible sign? Like, don't yep. be wrong. I think that those, they, I don't think that those guys did a great job with Korra and they made Korra. Like, the original creators made Korra, not some, you know, other people. But, like, I feel like it's a, like, I feel like it's a very bad sign when you have the original people there and then the original people go, you know what? You know what you've inspired us to do? Not work with you and instead go make our own movies again. Like yep. movies of this property. Like I feel like Plot- if I'm the Netflix people, I go, uh-oh. <laughs> Plot twist. They want to make uh, Zuko fall in love with Aang. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, How that's did why I you know my fan fiction. <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> they're like fighting, and it's like really hot, and they're sweating, shirtless, and they're bending. Okay, because you thought I... about this way too much. <laughs> 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 but no, like I just love. I just feel like at the end of the. I mean, maybe that's why they're bringing in the Mean Girls in season one. Is like they're clearly trying to differentiate themselves very quickly. Is like right. this is inspired by, but is not the thing. But I also feel like that's kind of a dangerous move. Is like, you. I can already picture the memes of just like, 
uh, hey, mom, can we watch Avatar The Last Airbender? And it's like, hey, we have Avatar The Last Airbender at home. And the picture is Avatar The Last Airbender at home. And it's the live action Avatar. Like, the Netflix know, one, feels, yeah. It just exactly. feels like a... Ooh, I don't know. There's there's so many pitfalls. There's, yeah. there's so many pitfalls. <laughs> yeah. I was also going to say that that's another reason why I'm nervous about the the movies because they're being made out of spite. The creators are basically the original creators are making these new young adult Eng and Zuko animated movies as a middle finger to Netflix, which means like they're not also being made like from a a place of heart. You know what I mean? They're being made basically just as a fuck you as a middle finger to something else. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's... they are kind of like a competition thing. Is like, yeah. all right, we gave you our you our IP, but you're not using it the way we want you to, so we're going to go leave and make it the way we want to. That, right. It, oh, <laughs> this, uh, uh, long ago, the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender and Netflix lived in harmony. <laughs> But then everything changed when the creative differences attacked. <laughs> I don't know. This, yeah, I don't know. This, the, the more I think about this scenario, as in, like, trust me, before this conversation, I dedicated exactly, like, one processor cycle per year to thinking about any of this stuff. But now that I'm thinking about it in this conversation, the more I think about it, the more I just look at this and go like, this is a truly nightmarish scenario that probably has so many business, like, Game of Thrones decisions going on behind the scenes, (laughs) and it's just gonna turn out, like, it's either going to turn out creating, like, brilliant things because of the creatives arm race, or it's just gonna turn out like a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why has it always got to be a war between creatives and producers? I know, right? Money, I guess. Yeah. But, like, how often do producers get in the way of the creative team excessively and then they make more money because of that? I wonder, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, to be fair, there's probably a lot of times where, like, the movie or the TV series doesn't have great critical success but then financially it's good enough that it warrants the producers being like yeah we made money we made our move that's fine yeah i also get very nervous in like personally in battles specifically like not just specifically between like creatives and producers but between original creators creatives and producers that's like the scary part like that, like uh the obviously there was the george lucas v disney thing there was mm-hmm. um like the game of thrones show outpaced martin mm-hmm. uh like and i mean that's not the producer's fault like they were just making a show and george r, r. martin like Fucked around one, one per one word per month yeah but like <laughs> uh like it's it, it it's not like um for instance like uh frank herbert the dune guy he's been gone for a long time now and it's like dune is like kind of in that phase where it's like not yet public domain but it's like the original creator isn't around and it belongs to like an estate and it's been like licensed out and a lot already. So yeah. you can kind of look at that and go like, all right, well it's, it's not really in the hands of the, the, the original person who kind of like has this very strong attachment to it. Whereas Avatar the last airbender is very much in that zone and not saying that the original creator is always right or whatever, but 
it I feel like it makes the conflict between creatives and producers like that much worse when it's the original person. Yeah. It's like that much more of a battle. Yeah. And it seems like they the the two guys who created it still take it very personally. Like you mentioned uh Frank Herbert, the Dune guy. He kind of never really gave a shit to be honest with you. Like when he saw <laughs> he was the too David, high. To yeah, when he saw the David Lynch movie in 1984, he was like, "Yeah, it's fine, whatever." You know, like so it also depends on how much the creator really gives a shit or not. But it sounds like these guys like really take it seriously, so yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it depends on the original creator cuz a lot of them and one that comes to the forefront is Stephen King who's so prolific in writing and then all of his novels become movies mm-hmm. and he he you know he has a light hand in all of them but he kind of lets them <laughs> deviate from the a bit. Bit. so it's uh, interesting, interesting how that works, how that works. Your voice yeah, is doing the echo thing again. Oh, sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's all right. But you do make a very good point about the whole Stephen King thing. Yeah, now my voice is doing the echo. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephen King has a bad record with his uh with his movies, and then he always sends out like a slightly passive aggressive tweet after his movies, where it's just like, not how I would have done it. It's funny because I think when the Dark Tower <laughs> like, okay, movie. Steve. When the Dark Tower movie came out, he was defending it because he was probably being paid to defend it. But then after the movie kind of like ran its course and everything, he was like, yeah, it stinks. (laughs) The Shining one, he actually hated that movie so much that he went out of his way to do his own personal remake of it, which was bad. Because sometimes like it's actually important to deviate from the source material. That's the other point we got to kind of like factor into all this. That, that is like, true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when you're like transitioning from one medium to another, it's important to take artistic liberties. And maybe the, those original creators of Avatar, because they've only like ever worked in animation, maybe they didn't fully understand that. And maybe they are the ones in the wrong there. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And what would be the point of, you know, the Netflix Doing it exactly action the if it's one for one? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this very quickly since Henry brought up uh, uh, The Shining. If any of you ever find yourselves in a situation where you have written something that is being adapted into a movie and by some miracle Stanley Kubrick is alive again, if the movie comes out and you don't like it, you are wrong. Because it's Stanley Cooper. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, that's true. You, you should not. You, even if you hate it, just suck it up. Because Stanley mean, Kubrick is correct. Just yeah, take the paycheck. Exactly. Yeah, Kubrick was right to make Shelley Duvall do 200 takes of the staircase scene. I mean, exactly. that scene was pretty fucking awesome to this because he literally broke her. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, broke her brain at least. Yeah. But no, that is a good point about like. It's important to deviate, especially, I mean, like, especially at the point where you part ways with the original creators. Like, at that point, you should definitely deviate because now you're kind of trying to demonstrate that it's like, well, hold on. Those guys have gone off and done their own thing. We're just taking the inspiration and turning it into something new. Yeah. Uh, So it is important to do that. 
I just also think that it makes their jobs that much harder. And yeah. it's like uh, something that Avatar The Last Airbender did so well is that it like takes such a simple premise and executes that simple premise really well. Yeah. So I get very hesitant about the idea of the writers of this show having to kind of like change the premise to differentiate themselves because that's when you like added you add unneeded complexity and that's when you get the wheels falling off right but yeah, very... i mean that's just my take on it i have no idea what i'm talking about <laughs> no 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 you make a very good point it's a very tricky balancing act so yeah and also so many um so many stories that people like remember and love throughout time after the last airbender is probably one of the newest ones to kind of like enter that crowd that it's like going to be remembered for a very long time they are often simple premises done incredibly well as opposed to like complex premises done simply pretty well like yeah, yeah done simply is a good way to put it like it, you can have a really complex premise done simply done well it, like game of thrones is complex and done well like but often the things that stand the test of time are these like kind of like core fundamental stories just yeah. executed at a level that hasn't been done before so uh hopefully they can do that in the netflix show but i am skeptical <laughs> yeah i think we all are I think not just even us, just everybody, the whole fan base. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I haven't really heard people talk about this show that much, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. But I also don't really pay attention. So. Yeah, I think a lot of people have forgotten since it's been announced, like you said. It's just, we've moved on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's been canceling their Netflix subscriptions, yeah. forgetting that it's coming out. <laughs> and Netflix is going to be like, wait, but remember... I wonder why Netflix fell so so far so quickly because they were pioneers. Like, why why are they not able to get a handle on like finding good talent and like figuring out good scripts and producing good shows basically anymore? Or you know, they specialize in just taking other people's stuff and showing it online. You know, I would love to say that the simple answer is money, and I'm sure that it probably is, but I also think that I'm obligated to say that Shalom has just given us an excellent, haunting, philosophical cliffhanger on which to end our episode. (laughs) (laughs) Why has Netflix fallen so far, and can they ever be redeemed? That's that's its whole... uh... episode right there on its own yeah because we only have uh we only have 90 seconds left and i'm guessing that the answer (laughs) to that question is not gonna be found in 90 seconds otherwise cynical about netflix one day or cynical about streaming wars you know because like reese said it's a whole topic onto itself so yeah there you go so henry do you want to uh play us out here uh do 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 was that good Oh, I was going to say, uh, like, (laughs) thanks, everybody, for showing up. Uh, This was a pretty awesome discussion. Uh, I didn't really know what I was going to say about anything coming into this, but I thought, like, all of you had, like, really cool thoughts that made me think about this show again in a different context, which 
was pretty cool to do. So thank you all for doing that and having brains. It was nice. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, guys. And thanks, Reese, for coming on. Yeah, uh, no, it's fun. See you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Take care, everyone. Bye. Good luck, Netflix. <laughs>